All right, so we have been driving through the book of Galatians here for the last month. We are in week five of this series, and we've tried to garner a better understanding of, of what the disagreement that we see in, in this book. There, there's a disagreement in, with Paul and the Galatians and the Judaizers on, in this area of justification. Justification is how one is made right by God and how one stays right by God. And this book is a great foundational piece for us to understand some really good ideas in the truth of God. It's a great place for us to understand the gospel. What is the good news and why it's important? Uh, Two weeks ago, we walked through the law. Like, what is the purpose of the law? Maybe you've heard that term, the law. We walked through what the law is and why it is it and is it still necessary? And then last week, we kind of walked in this area of grace versus the law and like tried to kind of compel this understanding. When Jesus came, did he change something? Did he change the dynamics between God and man? And, and we said, yes, he did. He redefined some things for us. And so if you're just joining us this week, it would be a great place for you to start by maybe going back and listening to a few of those sermons just to get better context of what we're going to talk about today. Because this week we really want to focus on the other half of this disagreement. So we have works of the law versus faith. Works of the law versus faith. And so we want to spend a lot of our time looking at this area of faith. How does faith work? We want to have our attention there. And look, honestly, I hope I'm honest with you. Honestly... I think this has a lot more for us than maybe the law does. I don't know if there's a lot of us that have great contention in like, what laws of the Old Testament should I continue to be following? I think that we have a greater disparity in understanding what a life that is faith-filled looks like. What is faith in our life? What does it look like? And so we want to address really two main questions today. What is faith? It may seem elementary, but it's not an elementary idea. Faith is, is crucial in its understanding. And the, the second question that we want to try to answer is, what do we have faith in? What is faith and what do we have faith in? And so when we read the book of Galatians, and I hope that you're reading the book of Galatians, we will see Paul adamantly defending this idea of faith as a means that saves us, as a means that empowers us in the whole context of the book of Galatians. And so this is what he has to say in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. There is no more harsh language in, in Scripture than, than the way that Paul talks to, to the Galatians here. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me, let, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun what the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, knowing then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith." And so what Paul is contending is saying, look, fools, <laughs> I have come to you. I have 
preached the gospel that Christ has inspired me by, and you receive that message by faith. And in that faith, you receive the Spirit. Do I really need to remind you of that? Because look, he's saying, it was good. Like, that was an amazing time. So we remember that Paul's mission, Paul's mission that he was equipped for by God was to go to the Gentiles. To go to the Gentiles, Peter's mission was to go to the Jews. Those Gentiles who are in Galatia, those are just people who aren't Jewish. You and I are Gentiles. We're not born Jewish. They would have not ever heard of the law. They would have not had the law. They would have not ever known how holy and glorious our God is. They would have never understood the standard of God. And so they have no prerequisite of the law. But by faith they receive Christ. By faith they believe and the Spirit came into them. And Paul says, look at all the things that happen. Like he's perfecting you. He's making you well day by day. He's teaching you his way. There are miracles happening amongst you. And these things were happening when I'm there. And listen, they happened long after Paul was there. There was not an apostle present in the church of Galatia for a long time. It was just the Spirit of God and his people. And it was doing amazing things. And Paul's saying, why are you, what are you going back to? Why, why are you turning away from this? And do, when I read this, I, I just think, how amazing it would be to have a faith like this. For the Spirit to show up, just like these Gentile Christians in Galatia. That God would be so powerfully moving in their lives, miracles would happen. Faith-filled life where things were being done that were way outside of their realm of possibly understanding those things. He's changing people from inside out. And those amazing things weren't happening because of works of the law. They were happening by faith in the Spirit. And I read these verses And I look at other stories in the Bible, and do you ever have this? I think, why isn't this happening here? Why why is this not happening now? Are there reasons why miracles happen more often in the pages of Scripture? Yes, I believe that there are. Are they still present today? Absolutely. Are there there people who are living spirit-filled lives that God is just doing incredible things in? Yes. Do, Do those things cease to be? They didn't cease to be. The scripture paints it really clear that the the, the gifts that God gave us have not gone away. Prophecy, teaching, tongues, miracles, healings, they've not gone away. They're still here. But what we see in these Judaizers is a group of people who see this organic movement by God, for God, and instead of celebrating it, instead of joining in with it, what do they do? I'm not comfortable with that. And so they try to manage it. And why are they trying to manage it? Because they're the Jews. We're the ones that have right understanding about God. There's no way that these Gentiles could understand God and have him move powerfully in his life. They're uncomfortable because they don't look like us. They don't look like them. And so could I just say this? Could it be said for us that we limit the power of our faith, the size of our faith, because the people around us in our culture aren't comfortable with a faith that that's big, with a faith that is that big, that maybe they're not comfortable. Maybe you feel some anxiety about living a faith-filled life the way that the Scripture would point us to. And now I'm not saying that we're going to all of a sudden have healing services. I'm not going to be Benny Hinn up here dropping people. Uh, that's not my, we're not going to be this overtly charismatic church overnight. But what if, if we have just misunderstood 
and, 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 and created a shortfalling in our understanding of what big faith looks like, what the size of our faith is. Maybe our faith has been hijacked by the comfortability of those around us. I mean, we want to be different, right? We want to be different. We know we are to be different, but often that difference means like, I want to be different in this way. I go to church on Sunday. My neighbor doesn't. I'm comfortable being that different. I'm comfortable being that different. But I don't want to be so painfully different and awkward that people say, look at this whack job over here. He actually believes God's going to show up. He actually believes that God could do that in his life. That he actually believes that when he reads the pages of Scripture and God does some pretty outstanding thing, that God actually wants to do that today. Can you believe that guy? I wonder if that's us. I, I certainly feel that pressure in my life to put God in this nice package where I understand him and I'm comfortable with him. And so let's just talk about faith today. What is it? I, I think as a culture, this idea of faith is sort of blind. Like we celebrate this idea of faith that's sort of blind. Blind faith is just like blowing out your birthday candles. It's like throwing a coin into a wishing well or a fountain. You've got no assurances that anything's going to ever happen from that. You've got no assurance that anything's going to ever come from that. You just wish. You just, this is pretty much what our pop culture resonates and speaks about faith by. This is faith. It's kind of like this. I mean, many of you know that the latest smartphone by Apple, the iPhone X. Many of you probably want to get your hands on that. Glass in the front, glass in the back. What could break, you know? Maybe you want that. And so it would be like this. I just really wish. <laughs> I'm just going to go about wishing my hardest that I'm going to have that iPhone. And that you just devote your life to just, I'm going to wish so hard. And I'm just going to believe. I'm going to believe that that's going to show up my doorstep. I'm going to just going to go about every day of my life just wishing. And I just expect that someday I'm going to walk up to my door. And that box is going to be there. And I'm just going to, and you know what? Because I'm wishing so much, I'm just going to go buy a cover. I believe by my wishing it's going to happen. And so I'm just going to, to prove my wishing, well, I'm going to go buy a cover for it. That's blind faith. It's going to come. I, I'm, I'm wishing it. But is that biblical faith? Is blind faith biblical faith? I don't think so. I don't think it is. Uh, I think it looks more like this. Uh, imagine that you actually went and you bought an iPhone. And you bought it on an online, you bought it on Amazon. You don't, you don't have it in your hand. You would receive a notification in your email from Amazon that would say, hey, thanks for your purchase. And then a, a day later, you might get a tracking number from UPS that says, hey, it's going to be here the next day. And then you're at work the next day, and you get a boop, notification, delivered at your house. Your wife sends you a text that says, hey, your iPhone's here. And so out of knowing that, you, just, you go to the store and you buy some accessories a cover because you know at dinner time you're going to be interacting with that. You know that you're going to be playing with that. And it's not a hope that's based in some fairy tale. Uh, you're going to be using that iPad or iPhone. And you know that even though you've never actually laid eyes on it, you know it be even though you've never actually touched it. This is the kind of concept that we see in the stories of faith in the Bible evidence that leads to knowledge. Evidence that leads to knowledge that gives you assurance of the things to come. So blind faith is like chucking a coin into a, countain, or a fountain. Biblical faith is like tracking a package. I can't see it yet, but I have evidence that it's going to be here. 
Blind faith is wishing. Biblical faith is having real assurance based upon evidence that when God, in, in his word, showed that he's capable and wants to do certain things, that we would believe that he wants to do those things in our life. That when he has done things in our lives before this time, that we believe that he might want to do those again in our lives in the future. The author of Hebrews, I think he compels faith in a really well thought out phrase. He defines faith in this way. Hebrews 11.1 says that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And so the author of Hebrews says that biblical faith is not some vague hope that is grounded in imagery or wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that, that something in the future, something that is yet unseen but promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. This biblical faith is not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence. It's not a leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy, a God that's revealed himself in his word, a God that's revealed himself in uh, the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have risen or uh, rang true in our life and whose promises have been fulfilled and ring true in the lives of generation upon generation upon generation upon generation of our ancestors, of our people. It's confidence that God will not leave us and he will never forsake us. A settled trust that God will do what he said he's going to do on the basis of faith you remember what he said and what he's done. Do you remember our discussion on the Ten Commandments a couple weeks ago? We, we said that in the, the scripture before he gives the law and the decrees of the Ten, the, the Ten Commandments, what does God say? He says, I am the Lord your God. I am the God that brought you out of Israel, out of the house of slavery. Put no other God above me. He's saying this essentially, hey, remember me. Look what I've done for you. I'm going to give you these things. Just trust me that I'm good. Trust me that I'm going to accomplish. If I said something, I'm going to do it. If I told you to do something, I want you to do those things. I mean it. It may not happen the way that you think they're going to happen. And certainly that can be a problem for us. But I'm going to do them. I promise them. And so what we can see about faith is faith is taking God at his word. Faith is simply taking God at his word. The Lord has made us certain promises. He's done certain things in the pages of scripture. We should take him up on the fact that he meant what he said and that he's going to do them again. But what disarms our faith and causes swirling in our faith is when we think that we don't get the things that God promised us or when we have hardship and trial in life. We say, where is God? Where is God? Our faith is often, uh, often reactionary to our journeys in life. And, and to that, I would say this. Like, faith is, look, it is the assurance that God's promises will never fail. But listen, even if sometimes we do not experience their fulfillment in our mortal existence, what robs the blessing of our faith, the power of our faith, is how we look at God. This week, our staff, we've been walking through some training here, and this guy put up this beautiful imagery of just faith in life. You know, I think what is often uh, the case for many of us is when we are 
living life, when we think of the area of faith, uh, what robs us of faith is that we have this lens where we look through our life to understand who God is. We look through our experiences to see God. But that's really not faith. What faith is, is that we would, we would use our, see our lives as, as looking through God to understand our life. This is faith, that I would see God and it would inform my life. So many of us live as a faith that's reactionary to our journey, but God just simply wants you to trust what he said for you, that we would live by faith, that believing that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, he's going to do what he's already done, but not always in our time. There are some horrific things that happen to believers, but that doesn't mean that God's not faithful to to deliver his promises. I mean, you look at Job, the book of Job in the Old Testament, what a horrible life that Job lived. He lived a horrible life. But what do we see in Job? Job in 13, chapter 13, 5 says this, Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Though he ruin me, I will put my hope in him. And so friends, look, I'm I'm bummed with you that life hasn't worked out the way that you wanted it to. I'm, I'm sorry that it's been hard for you, that you haven't gotten what you wanted. And I can't tell you why those things have happened. I just believe that God is there with you. I just believe that he's there with us, working for something better. And listen, it may not be for you. It may not be for you. It it may be for somebody else. And you may not ever experience his promises until you're not here. To me, life is a riddle. Life is a riddle that God wants me to experience and not necessarily solve. I think we often try to try to box God in to try to understand him and, and create equations where we know what he wants. I just, when I read the pages of scripture, I'm fully uh, com- convinced that we just cannot understand the thoughts and the ways of the Lord. Life with God is a mystery. It's a mystery in some ways. And I believe that God is more concerned with how we handle what we cannot know. I do. I believe that he's more concerned about how we handle what we cannot know. A riddle loses its mystery. It loses its power, even perhaps its significance once it's solved. And so God keeps us in our riddle, and each one of you have your own different riddle in life. He keeps us in that riddle so God can help us to to live by faith and not by sight. I know that we would like to solve it, wouldn't we? Man, I'd like to solve that riddle in my life. But if we could, what would that do for us? just create some false confidence that look at what I did. You would trust in your own understanding. And what does God want us to do? He he wants us to trust him. You know, Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Do you guys feel that? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even though I have been fully known. Like the Lord just, he knows us, and he knows what he wants to do, but for us, it often feels like we're looking through this dim mirror. I can see some shapes, I can see some things going on, but someday face to face, we'll understand what this means. But today, we live by faith. I can't tell you why things happen, 
I just know that God has a desire to bring all things back to himself. He says that he works for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. We see that in the pages of Scripture. When we look at our ancestors, when we look at our friends in the Bible, we see that God does redeem things. He does work things for the good of his purpose, not always for (laughs) the good of our purposes at times. But he has a way that he wants me to live. He has a way that he wants me to live for my benefit and my flourishing, but mostly for the glory of his name. And when I walk in that because I trust him, because I have faith in him, when I obey that because I love him, it often seems to go well for me. I just, friends, I just trust that God's gonna, he's gonna be there no matter what. Do you you just trust that God's, have faith that God's just, despite your circumstances, that he's, he's just gonna be working things behind the scene? that he's got a plan for it, I have no doubts that he does. And I think that one of the things that diminishes our faith in this culture is that we posture this idea of faith, but it really isn't faith. Faith is not to be confused with knowledge or positive thoughts. Faith is not to be confused with knowledge or positive thoughts. Just because you know about God doesn't mean you have faith. The demons knew about God, but they're not children of God. Sometimes we can live guilty of of living this life the way the world would want us to. We indulge ourselves in the world, and then we say, hey, I believe in Jesus. Like we expect somebody to hand us a treat. Like we just sprinkle in a little Jesus in our life. But faith isn't just knowing about Jesus, having some good feelings about God, saying, hey, I... I believe in God. I believe God loves me. Great. That's great. Where's the evidence in your life? Where's the evidence in your life? Because he died for a reason. If he died for you, he died for a reason. And if he's shown you great love, he's shown you great love for a reason. And that reason wasn't so you could feel good about yourself. It's because you need him. You got to have him. And he wants you. And he's trying to save you from yourself, from yourself. And so we turn to him by faith, through grace, in Christ. And so, so many times, because we have this positive, it's just a knowledge, it's a positive thought, God does some pretty cool stuff. He has common graces for every, some cool things happen, and we're just amazed with him. Oh, God showed up, amazing. And then we forget about it, because God's just a good thought. He's just somebody that we acknowledge. He does something cool and we just move on. You know, amazement is what takes us past and beyond the categories of what we're carrying around in our capabilities to understand and explain things. But that's not faith. Faith is when you accept God's declaration of his plan and then you turn your lives on that basis. You turn and live your lives on that basis. Faith is not something you do with just your brain. Faith is the way that you live your life, that you would trust God over your circumstances by both belief and action. That's faith. That's what faith is. So what do we have faith in? What do you have faith in? Do you have faith in Jesus? Or or do we just have some faith in uh, in a God that just kind of we've crafted to let us do what we want to do and be who we want to be? The good news for us is that Paul in the book of Galatians speaks towards how the Spirit, if it's in us, manifests itself out. 
it manifests itself out in those who have saving faith. This is what what Paul writes in chapter 4 of Galatians. He says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons of God, listen, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. And so what Paul says is that for those who live by faith, who have trusted in God, they have been given the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of His Son into their hearts. And what does that Spirit cry inside of our hearts? Father, Father, Daddy, Daddy. There is something inside of us that although we are children of wrath and disobedience, because of Christ and His grace, we have become children of love through the Spirit. We get to partake in the nature of being a child of God. And God will always have it that his children resemble him. He's just always going to have it that way. My daughter, bless her heart, she's going to act and look like me. And that may be to her detriment, that may be for her goodness, but she's going to look like me. A child of God is always going to begin to resemble God. Why? Because there's something in us that wants to push us towards becoming more like our father. Daddy, daddy to desire obedience to him. God says that's the spirit. And it's in all of those who are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so here's the most honest conversation I can have with you in the area of faith. If your life does not reflect in any way the goodness of our Father, if you have no desire to please the Lord, if there's not an urging in in your heart to follow after God, if there's not a wrestling with your sin, if you don't have a desire to be uh, obedient to the Father in the slightest, then look, friend, you're not a Christian. You're not. You have faith in some other version of God. You have faith in something else. You know about Jesus. You just don't know Jesus. And that may sound arrogant. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I just want to love people well enough to say, I don't want you to perish because you believe in a faith that makes you comfortable in the world. There is a spirit that cries out in us, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. I want to be like Jesus. I want to wrestle with my sin. My aim is not to make you question your salvation, but the Lord does say that we should work out our salvation with trembling and fear. Don't coast on this thing. I think sometimes we think faith is something we coast on. We just have this one-time decision by faith. Oh, I believe that Jesus Christ is who he is. And then we just do what we want to do. Faith is living day by day. Believing that God is going to deliver on his promises. Believing that God has saved us from ourselves. Faith is an everyday activity. It's not just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Faith is choosing to live in the realities and the beliefs of God as your default setting. And so when God said that we should actually love people, we would actually do that. That when God said that he could actually overcome some great things in our life, that he meant that. 
that when God says, I want to heal my people, that he actually meant those things. That's choosing faith every day of our lives. And so through faith, we don't limit the size of our God. We don't limit the size of our God. We don't shrink him down to our own understandings. Our culture dictates for us what we're comfortable in with faith. Faith simply means that we believe that God is capable of doing and actually wants to do the things that he said, even if it doesn't make sense to us, nor, nor when it even seems impossible to us that God still wants to do those things. Uh, kind of to close our time together, I want to give you this just story of, of big faith. In 2010, there was a group of people in Sacramento, um, and there was this, there's this, just a strip called Detroit Boulevard. And it was the worst. Crime-ridden, sex crimes, prostitution, drugs, death, murder. And so eight people decided that they were just going to go for as long as it took, and they just began to go house by house and pray over those houses. They just had a big faith that God wanted to, to do something there. Day by day, they went and prayed. And one of the members, he was a retired police officer, he said, every day I went out there, it felt like uh, the Lord was kind of removing some chains, that the, the, this weight that I felt in this community was becoming lighter. And in 2012, they moved into the area. Some of them moved into the area. They started this thing called Detroit Life Church. And the newspaper called the Sacramento Bee, they reported in the year 2013 that between the years, uh, 2014, that between the years 2013 and 2014, our friends started in 2010, that there were, were no drug arrests, there were no murders, there were no sex crimes, and there was one assault. The neighborhood was transformed because people had a big enough faith to say, I know I can't do that, but when I read the pages of Scripture, I see a God that can and they committed themselves to living that way. They would pray over house to house, and they had one, a lady, it kind of all triggered, one lady was just, what are you doing? <laughs> and she came out, and she was healed, they prayed for her, she was healed from her addiction. And then they went bonanza, bananas. That's big faith, that God can do something that we don't even think is possible. So friends, I don't want to ever see us to, to, to be comfortable in the size of our faith. I, I want each of you, including myself, to have a faith that's bigger than your own expectations, that's bigger than your own capabilities, that's bigger than the size of your understanding, would you and could you imagine what God might want to do in your life and in other people's lives that only he can do? And trust it by faith to live out what he's done for us to delight in him, to follow him, and chase after him. To have a big faith that would say, you know what, Lord? You've shown time and time again that this is your character, and this is who you are, and I believe that you can do it now in my life. That's big faith. Faith should make us different. We should not look like the world. Jesus was different than anything else that's ever existed in this world. And so if we, by his spirit, have possessed him, we are now sons of God through Christ, 
doesn't it make sense that we should look different than the world? And so I'm just asking us today to consider what it is in our lives that we can have big faith in it. What does it mean to live a faith-filled life? I'm going to have a friend come next week. He's going to speak to you. His name is Stu. He's going to come next week, and he's going to talk about this idea of, of being faith-filled and how we are to live different in the world. And so to close our time together, I just want to, a couple questions that I want you guys to maybe walk through this week. Uh, you know, do I believe that God can do what he has shown he can? Do you believe that? Do I believe that God can do what he's shown he can? And the second question would be, uh, what is something I need to show more faith towards? What is something I need to show more faith towards? Something to think about this week. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today, and we praise you as a God that goes beyond our size and understanding, a God that's not limited to our scope, but a God that has, throughout history, acted and interacted with his people in ways that are way beyond our own capabilities. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would convict our hearts, that you would move our hearts to not make our faith be so comfortable, that we would actually believe that you are who you are, that you would actually do what you have said you will do. And, Lord, will you give us the courage to walk even if those things don't work out to the way that we want them to? that we would still inform our lives with what you say about us, what you have for us, and what you want to do for us. And so, God, we pray for big faith, not just in this church, but in this community, in this world, that people would come to know your name because of it. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the holy name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.